All right, so I want you to picture, it's 1996. How many of you were not alive in 1996? Spring of 96. Spring of 96, you were not alive. Okay. Like a, like a fourth of you. All right. Well, I was driving around in spring of 96. I graduated in 95. In 96, I was going to uh, a, a junior college in Kansas City. Driving around town. You're from Kansas City? Okay. Went to Johnson County Community College for a semester and a half. Anyway, driving around in my 1986, I know most of you, well, none of you were alive. Drew, were you alive in 86? Yes, I was alive. <laughs> Barely? I was three. Okay. So I was driving around in 1986, four-door white Ford Tempo. It smelled like walnuts. That's a whole other story. Can't tell you that right now. Um, but I was listening to this song. Maybe you're familiar with it. Let's see if this works. You guys know this song? I've never heard this song in my life. You've never heard this song? What? Whatever. I want to see if it actually... Let's see if this puts it. It's not working. I was going to put the lyrics up. Is it on there? No, that's not working. You guys heard this? Yep. My daughter knows this song. I found out that tonight. Okay. Okay. So, song is called Ironic. What's ironic about the song is actually the things she describes aren't really, aren't really ironic. Um, there's a video, you, you can go on and Google Alanis Morissette uh, and Ironic, and there's this video from this year um, where she, she was on some talk, talk show host and she's finally able to laugh at herself and realize that, yeah, the song really didn't talk about irony all that much. Um, and so they make up this spoof. It's pretty funny, actually. But, but really, the, the song's more about, um, about, her, about uh, the unpredictability of life, right? Life is unpredictable, right? So you, you think you have something figured out, you plan all this vacation, and then you'd, you know, you, you never, you're afraid to fly, and you pay to fly, and all of a sudden you're on the way down, and you're saying, well, this is nice, you know. Um, and, and so this life is unpredictable, and I think she maybe was influenced by Ecclesiastes a little bit, because Ecclesiastes is certainly about life being unpredictable. Um, there, is, there is this, like the, so far the, the author has been describing um, life, like, like the, our desire to try to make, take life and control it and, and, um, and use it for our purposes is like, is like trying to control vapor. It's like trying to manipulate smoke. It's like trying to get it to do something um, when as soon as we grab it, it just disappears on our hand. And so he, he reminds us over and over and over uh, 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 why that's the case. And so he starts by describing how um, generations come and go and the earth remains the same. Uh, he, you know, essentially, you and I are going to die and not much is going to change. Um, he talks about the weariness of life and, and, and how things go round and round and round and yet never really goes anywhere. And so he talks about na in nature that the sun and, and the wind, um, the sun goes up and the sun goes down. You can't slow it down, you can't speed it up. The wind just kind of blows, sometimes hard, sometimes soft. You can't make it go faster or slower. It just kind of is what it is. Um, it's not, it's some, not something you can control. And he talks about how Rivers flow into the sea, but the sea never fills up. So we're, like all this water that's rushing into the river, it's basically evaporating, and then the rain comes and fills the river, and it flows into the ocean, but it never gets there because it evaporates, and it goes back down, and it falls back into the river. And there's just this purposeless almost um, 
Like, what's the point of this? It's, it's flowing, but it never fills up. He talks about the eyes are constantly looking, but are never tired of, never tired of seeing. Your ears are never full of hearing. And, and there's just this weariness and this cyclical nature about life. And so, so, so he decides to look into a few things, like wisdom, and then he looks into folly. And he says, maybe I can, maybe I can find some sort of purpose or meaning in, in, in wisdom. Maybe that's the secret to life, is in wisdom. And he, and he discovers that it's the same. That the wisdom and folly are essentially kind of similar. He says, he does conclude, yeah, it's, it's better to, to be wise. Um, it's, it's a better pursuit, but ultimately it kind of, we both end in the same place. The, the wise and the fool both end in a box. And with nothing really to show for it at some level. Uh, and so he looks to pleasure. And he, he thinks, maybe, maybe if I enjoy the things that are enjoyable in this life under the sun, um, then maybe I'll find some sort of secret to life, some sort of purpose or meaning in life is, is through, through these pleasures, through um, growing things, through um, enjoying laughing and, and drinking with friends and Maybe I'll find some sort of secret life. And he, and he kind, of, kind of exhausts that and comes to the end and says, nope, it's the same. It's trying to just control and manipulate smoke or vapor. But um, there are more things to try to explore. And so tonight we're going to talk about work. We're going to talk about your careers. We're going to talk about laboring. And, and, um, and so what if, I mean, the, the, the author is kind of going to really tackle this. What if... What if there is purpose to working in that we can find meaning and purpose in our work? And not just so that we can like climb the corporate ladder and bec- become someone famous or successful per se, but what if, what if actually we can create something that will outlast us? Because he, 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 he is very clear. We're, we're going to die. Okay, so yeah, we're going to die. So maybe it's not about us living forever, but maybe it's about whatever we create to live forever. And therefore... We will live forever, and we will be remembered, and, and we, will be, we will have a legacy. And so he's going to tackle that in our section today. And so I want to start, actually, we're, we're going to be in mainly 18, in chapter 2, 18 through the end of the chapter, but I want to start up in verse um, 15, because he really kind of starts this, you need, to, you need to catch a couple things before we move into verse 18. Um, So chapter 2, Ecclesiastes 2, 15, says this. I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen, also, will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? Again, he's, he's concluding that wisdom, like I thought maybe wisdom was the answer. And he's realizing maybe it's not. And I said in my heart that this is also vanity. That's that word, vanity is this word vapor or smoke. He says, for of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies like the fool. This is is what he concludes about life. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity and striving after a wind. In other words, trying to shepherd the wind, trying to control the wind. The meaning is not found there. So he says, since death is inevitable and no one will be remembered, I hated life and it grieved me. And so you're going to see, he's not just moving in exploring these different things objectively, he's now becoming. Well, I'll just say, he's, he's, he's getting to a point of despair. He's going to be just undone by what he's discovering. And, and so this is really kind of the climax of this, the first major movement of this book, is, is these verses that we're going to talk about today. So verse 18, he says, not only did I hate life, he says, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun. 
seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I have toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. In other words, he's saying, okay, so, okay, yeah, so, so I'm going to die, but my work can continue. And, and then he's realizing, wait a minute. Yeah, I could work I could work all my life and strive and strive and strive to, to, to have something to pass on to somebody else, maybe my children, maybe somebody else. But who knows whether or not they're going to be wise with it or be a fool with it. They could just, it could be destroyed within the first year I'm gone. In other words, he's saying, I have no control over what happens after I die. I have no control over that. That's why he's finding despair. Because he's trying to think of maybe work. Maybe if I can, I can just find some way to find significance and meaning and purpose in, in work, then, then I'll have some way of controlling and manipulating my outcome. And he's saying, no, this is vanity. And this, this always, it gets worse. He says, so I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by, by someone who did not toil for it. He says, this also is vanity and a great evil. And in other words, he's saying, you know, I, I've worked all this time and I've done all this hard work and I'm just going to give it to somebody who hasn't earned it, who hasn't sacrificed, who doesn't know what it means to, to have done what I've done. Yeah, this isn't... This isn't what I signed up for. This isn't maybe um, how I'm supposed to find meaning and purpose under the sun. He says, this is a great evil. He says, what has a man from all the toil and all and striving of the heart for, of which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, okay, his heart does not rest. He's, he's saying, uh, some of your translations have the idea of, of grief and pain. Like his life is full of grief and pain because, because of, of his toil and his labor that may or may not continue after he's gone, that at some level will not be remembered, that will be forgotten. What's the point? Pain and grief. And he says, even in the night, um, his heart does not rest. In other words, at night is when you're supposed to lay your head down and go, I'm satisfied. and I, A long, hard day's worth of work. I, I'm fulfilled. I'm satisfied. It's night is when you're supposed to have a full heart. And he's saying, my heart was not at rest. Um, my heart was not at rest. And he said, this also is vanity. So again, he's, he's in despair. Um, he says he's, he's, it, it's grievous to him. It's troubling him. He said he hates life. He says days are full of of sorrow, vexation, grief, pain, and his heart cannot find rest. And this is like, this is the, the essentially kind of the result of his exploration into finding meaning and purpose in life. But he's going to conclude. So verses 24 through, through 26 are really a conclusion of the first two chapters. And, and it's actually going to move from, so I want you to see how this happens, but he's going to move from despair um, to joy, and he's gonna he's gonna ha- gain a perspective that's that's pretty interesting, and it's actually the first time that God is mentioned in the first two chapters, or in these verses. So he says in verse twenty four, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. Okay, so there's a guy named Tommy Nelson. Uh, Zach goes to his church. He's a pastor of a church in Denton, Texas. Okay, anybody else from from his church in Denton? Just, just Zach. Anyway, he is uh, he preaches he preaches a series, and if you talk to Zach, he'll tell you all about because it it's his favorite thing right now. He's got a man crush on Tommy Nelson. Anyway, um, it's really really good. Uh, but I was I was listening to him teach on this this particular verse and. He said something that I didn't read in any other commentary, so I'm going to put that little caveat. I'm reading three commentaries about this, and none of them mentioned this. But, and I did look into the Hebrew to see if I could figure that out, but I, I don't know Hebrew. And so I'm, I'm, 
I'm really at a loss. But this is what he said, and what he said actually made a lot of sense. And, and I think fits really well with what the author's trying to say here. He, he said that, and, and he gets this from some other guy named Walt Kaiser, which I tried to find Walt Kaiser's commentary, couldn't do it. Anyway, um, he said the word better is actually not in the original language. So now look, look back at the verse and read it without the word better in there. He said the reason that he thinks the, the, the scholars put the word better there is because in other times in Ecclesiastes, when this, this type of phraseology is used, the word better is mentioned, is actually there. It's not here. So the, the, the scholars thought, oh, I bet it was supposed to be there. I bet, I bet it's understood to be there. But because it's the first one, it may not have been there. Um, but I think the fact that it may not be there actually brings a little more clarity to what he's trying to say. So in other words, I think it goes like this. There is nothing for a person. Or you could say there is nothing in a person than that he could eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. So when he talks about eating and drinking and toiling and working, he's, he's describing things that you have to do every day. Daily habits. Daily things. He's saying there is nothing, this is what I believe he's saying, there's nothing in a person that can find enjoyment in these daily things. There's nothing in us. Because the very next line is, is, is the switch of perspective. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. So now God's mentioned. God's brought into this picture. Wait a minute. Bef- all before that, he's talking about life under the sun. He's not talking about life with God. He's talking about life under the sun. He's really talking about life without God. And now he brings God in and he says, this I saw as a gift from God. Or it's from the hand of God. Now how could the fact that we can't in ourselves find enjoyment in eating and drinking and toiling as a gift from God? How is that a gift from God? Listen to what he says in verse 25. For apart from him, who can eat or who can find enjoyment? So, what, here's what I believe he's saying. That, the, 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 that there's a change in perspective that needs to happen. Instead of work being something that, that, that um, as a, work is a means to a greater fulfillment or lasting fame or security or even pleasure, okay, Instead of it being those things, instead of it being a means to something that, that, that I can find fulfillment and fruitfulness in, he said, when I, when I see work as that, then it leads to frustration and disillusionment. Um, but instead of that, we need to see this, this eating and drinking and working, these daily things. When we see them as gifts from God, then all of a sudden we receive momentary joy in those things. So when it comes to work, instead of trying to be remembered... Um, as our goal, you know, a lot of people talk about leaving a legacy. Legacy is a really, really big, big idea. It's a big word. Everybody wants to leave a legacy. Maybe you guys aren't hearing that word as much as I hear it with older people. Okay, the closer you get to death, the more you want to think about leaving a legacy. The more you start thinking about, man, I, I want to leave something for my kids. I want to, I want my name to continue. I want, I want what I've done to have mattered. I mean, that stuff really becomes important the older you get. And he says, instead of, instead of work, um, work as trying to be remembered, as he talks about in verse 16, he said, our goal is simply to receive, to receive what God has for us. Even if it's momentary joy from eating a steak or, or, or filling your stomach or momentary joy of, of doing something that you love to do that, that matters. Maybe it's not about this ultimate significance and purpose, maybe it's just about simple uh, momentary joy and pleasure in, in the moment. And just trusting that what He has for us. L- l- one commentary put this, I thought this was really, really good. He says, death, death undercuts the ambition to achieve permanence of identity. Let me say that again. Death undercuts the ambition to achieve permanence of identity but it cannot vanquish the enjoyment of the moment. So he's saying, he's saying ultimately, like with God, we can find joy in, in the moment, in, the, in these daily things that seem sometimes, sometimes pointless and, 
and, and, and aren't um, fulfilling maybe in, in terms of finding life and fulfillment in it, but there can be momentary joy and there can be um, enjoyment in those things. And so Colette closes, um, Colette is the, the author, I believe. Actually, it's called The Teacher. And so he says, um, apart from him, who can find enjoyment? Verse 26, for to, for to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the, biz, the business of, the busyness of gathering and collecting. Um, only to give it to the one who pleases God. And so he's actually saying, he's concluding with this po- on this positive note about God, because it's all negative up to this point. That life is, is, is like trying to control vapor. Um, and, and now he says, there is meaning and purpose in God. He's, he's the one that provides it. He's the one that gives that. He's, and, and so he's, he's comparing um, the, things that, the gifts that God gives Versus us trying to make it ourselves. That's that's what he's that's what he's contrasting in these in these last in this last verse. But I love this last line. This also is vanity and striving after wind. In other words, um, he says, God is the one in which we find these things in. We find enjoyment in our work in our toil. But but if we think we can use God to find enjoyment in then we've just turned it back on ourselves and we've now God becomes a tool, a means to the end. And he says that is like trying to control smoke and vapor, trying to shepherd the wind. And so it's a really interesting twist that takes place that, that in, and, in and of ourselves, when we seek to find these things in ourselves, when we look inward, we aren't going to find it. But when we trust Him, we, we look to Him, he provides it. He, re- he gives it. And so our job is not to look inward, but simply to receive. Um, to receive what He has, as we do what we're called to do. So, that's it for me. We're going to take a break, and then Drew's going to get up and, and talk through what it means to, to work. And why, why in the world, okay, if work doesn't matter, why are you at college? Maybe you're asking that question. And so hopefully Drew will help bring some resolution to why you're at college. Yeah. Uh, the way you're talking about uh, like the momentary joy. Yeah. Oh yeah, and uh, the death and the past, the ambition. It made me think of Paul making
Tonight, just give a brief. Stuff. Is it on PowerPoint? Don't you have it on? Never know if it's gonna work in 30 minutes or whatever. I don't care if you if you guys aren't ready or whatever. Be jumping in. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We it's been a long time since we have because mine's not really gonna flow in worship that well. But that's all right. That's all right. No, not super well. But mine's a little bit more teaching than sermon-esque thing. So but that's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll just do it at the end. Come up when I start talking about this. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm gonna, oh, no. Well, there it goes. Did it just leave us? Yeah. I don't It's like you can't let it go to black screen. Maybe that's it. I'm just going to leave it open. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. Is this bit, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> Man, I was gonna say I can get that from now. I'll just do. I'll make a black slide and leave okay. it the black slide. Okay. Are you putting your Okay. So just leave it like that. Okay. I'm just gonna Sweet. turn off the TV. I like it. Yes. All right, you guys can make your way to your seats. We have some more announcements. Woo -woo. I'm going to sit over there by the lights so we don't have to get up there. I like it. We're leaving all the TVs on, so. Hey. Excuse me, there, Abby. <laughs> now, what did I do? There we go.
and we will do some crafts, and it will be fun, and we will watch a movie, and then we will stay tonight, and then we will do something fun. So be here, bring bring like one or two dollars, but let me know. There will be a Facebook event page um, up in the next week. Make sure you RSVP for that. And then the guys' night will be... Yeah. 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 Uh, so, for the guys, uh, we are going to be going out to Jeff Butler's house. He's going to be opening up his house to us, and we are going to be having a campfire and cookout there. So, uh, meat, um, outdoor activities, and uh, we're going to actually be camping out there for the night, too. So, if some of you guys are like, I'm not really into camping, feel free to still come and eat with us for the Friday night, but you don't have to stay. But for those of you, uh, we are going to be eating well, I'll let you know, but we're going to create a Facebook page and get all the details planned out. But yeah. Froze, froze, froze. All right. Okay. We'll get get started here. Um, talking about this idea of work tonight, and work is uh, work is a bit of a strange animal. It's kind of, of of all of the four different things that we're talking about in our Ecclesiastes series. It's the most kind of everyday, if you will the most kind of normal, average part of all of our lives. Not everyone uh, is going to be rich. Um, not everyone, certainly, a handful of you in here, are going to be wise or knowledgeable. Um, not uh, everyone, has, everyone has the opportunity to experience simple pleasures, but not to the degree of, say, Solomon as he talks through those things. But work, work is one of those things that, that is a normal part of virtually everyone's life um, for for almost all their life we will spend you will spend as you kind of move into adulthood you will spend more time on work than any other single thing in your entire life um, outside of maybe sleep um, but that kind of depends on your work and it depends on how much you like to sleep or whatever but but as far as waking time like it it's basically half your life Waking time, what we spent working, it's something that almost everybody does. It is considered in a lot of ways kind of a basic necessity uh, of life that, that like you, you have to do it, you have to be employed mostly for reasons of income. Um, everyone's got to be able to have a job. Everyone's got to be able to have some means of getting a paycheck of, of, of income. I think there are some other reasons that it is really important that we'll get to. Um, one of the greatest things that people want in life um, is employment, that, that um, it becomes a major marker of health in a person's life, in a nation's life, in society at large. We gauge a lot of times based on um, employment rates or unemployment rates, what we call those, because that's considered vital to a society is that its people are employed, that its people have jobs, um, and, and those who don't have one, those who know what it is to be unemployed, to not have it, like desperately long for one, and yet the, the, the kind of the weirdness of it is that most people who have one hate it, like hate their work, hate their job. It's, it's considered sort of a necessary evil, something that, yeah, we all have to do, um, but it's nothing that we're super excited about. Just the way we talk about Mondays and the way we talk about Fridays um, the reason we talk about those two things is simple, because Mondays is the day that I have to start the work week, and Friday is the day that it's all over, that it's done, that I can, I can quit this. this. This thing that you are giving half your life to, you will look forward to every Friday to being done. How depressing is that? Um, this, is, this is the way most people feel about these things. One of the greatest goals in America and, and for much of the world, one of the greatest goals for work is to get to a point where you don't have to anymore, right? Like that's, that's 
huge this idea of retirement and even this, this kind of like magical um, idea of early retirement. Those who can work well enough and, and do good enough and get lucky enough that they can stop working early in their life, those people are the kinds like that's the kind of story we want for our life. Um, that idea, by the way, retirement, um, I think it's safe to say unbiblical. Um, that idea of, try, of just stopping working so you can kind of do whatever. But that's, that's a major goal for most people because work is in so many ways kind of a dreaded thing. Um, this, this thing that's, that is such a natural part of our lives but is something that is sort of dreaded. As I said, it's considered a necessary evil. There are a number of people who kind of think of it as this issue part of sin's curse. God says to Adam, you will work the ground with much by the sweat of your brow to bring forth after he sins, right? And so a lot of people even see it as kind of lumped in in a perfect world. In Eden, in heaven, we won't have to worry about that anymore. But this is our lot in life while we're here on um, on the earth in this lifetime, at least, in this old earth. Um, but that's not how the Bible describes it, necessarily. That's not the way the Bible talks about work, um, a lot of times, at least. Um, there is, we see actually, even in Ecclesiastes, and Scott hit on it, that there is, um, the Bible describes that there's joy in the simple act itself. Ecclesiastes 10, or 2.10 uh, the second half of it says, For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. That there is like a simple like part of the reward, he says, of work is simply that there's actually pleasure in it. That there's a, there's a, there's a reward, there's a simple satisfaction that comes with work says the writer of Ecclesiastes, um, says the teacher. And, and also we see actually that we were the Bible seems to point to this fact that we were made to work. That that's like wired into us. Um, if you go over to Genesis, first of all, Genesis 1.26. This is when God creates man. It says this, then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Um, this idea, actually, that, that verse has been used a lot to talk about almost kind of our ability to abuse the earth, or to do whatever we want to it, because after all, we've got dominion. We can do whatever we want with these things. Um, but, but really the idea is, he says, let us make man in our image. And so part of the idea is that we are ruling on God's behalf, that we are caring for his creation in the same way that he does. In fact, that he, we are, in, in a lot of sense, the means by which God cares for his creation. And so we were put here for that purpose. He'll say later in Genesis 2.15, says this, that Yahweh God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So in Eden, when God puts him in, it says the reason God put him in Eden was to work it and to keep it, to, to take care of it, to cultivate what was there. And this, it's worth noting, comes before sin enters the picture. So this isn't a sign of brokenness in creation that we work. This is part of good, God's good design from the beginning. God made it so that human beings would work. Um, it is wired in us to, in the same way that God is a creator and that he cultivates and that he takes things that are chaos. This is kind of the way Genesis 1 actually kind of describes it when it says that the waters of the earth, the, the earth was empty and void. It's kind of this picture in the Hebrew of chaos and God coming and bringing order to the chaos. And in the same way that he does that, we as image bearers are designed to do that, to take the chaotic, to take the um, uncultivated, to take kind of the craziness of life we see or undevelopedness, um, the raw materials of the world around us and make something beautiful and creative out of that. In that sense, what your dad said is true. Hard work builds character. It's good for you, as your dad might have said. Um, and, and the reason why is because in our work we we in a sense sort of become more of what we're intended to be um, as we work. So it's designed to be something good. It's also interesting to note that God sets up this system from the beginning, that we work for six days, and then on the Sabbath we have rest. Which means that there is good and, and, and beauty and, and there's something right about rest, that we are designed to have rest in our <laughs> lives. But if, 
if we're supposed to kind of take that as any sort of say, kind of, it almost seems like God designed us, at, like the ratio is six to one. That like we're not actually meant for larger amounts of rest than work. Um, to spend more of our lives on leisure than on work. Where it's actually kind of made in us to be working more than resting, even though resting is important and, and crucial, but it's not there. So um, this is kind of the picture that, it's, that it gives, that we're made for it, that there's pleasure in it, that it fits with our design as we are image bearers, and yet we have this picture that's been described to us in Ecclesiastes of vanity, of vapor, chasing after the wind, and that is because um, sin does eventually come into play here, and it does wreck, um, just like it wrecks and breaks everything else, it breaks work. It wrecks the idea of work. This is what God says to Adam after, uh, after he sins. Genesis 3.17 And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so we see here in Genesis 3 this idea that work is not going to be easy, and it is not often going to be satisfying because of sin, that sin causes work to be, and here's kind of the first of four things I'm going to tell you about um, work that sin does to it, but it causes it to be frustrating and difficult. That Adam doesn't just walk into the Garden of Eden and do his work and things just grow easily. That things don't just kind of happen it's weird to say this naturally as you would, but there's work now. There's weeds to fight with. There's difficult soil to plow. There's hardship in it. By the sweat of his brow or the sweat of his face, he will be able to bring those things. So work we see is difficult and frustrating. And I think we've all experienced this. This is, this is what everybody knows, that work is hard and often unsatisfying and fulfilling. There's even this kind of other layer to it that, that I think we all get to experience a little bit. I think artists... I think builders, I think entrepreneurs get to experience this to kind of a further degree. And that is that there is some sense in which what you envision in your head, the desire that you have to put something together, like, like your finished product, it seems like on this earth, is never quite what you had in mind. Like there is this sense of incompleteness to almost all we do. Um, I got... In, in the last few years, I've gotten into this recent kind of this hobby of uh, like carpentry stuff, doing like building furniture around our home, which I know by looking at me that you could not see that coming, right? May as well say I'm a, I'm a weightlifter on the sides too. But um, <laughs> like, like that's, it, it has never been anything I was into. Just kind of in the last several years done this and, and really come to like enjoy it. Um, and, but, but what will happen is like people can come in too and when they find out that like the coffee table or our bed or whatever else was built by me, like they'll, they'll you know, hey, that's so awesome. That's great. That's so cool that you can do that. But, but what they don't know is that I can see when I walk into that same room, I see every flaw in that, in that piece of furniture. I have to make this little like deal with myself when a piece of furniture is done that I'll never look at it too closely. Um, because if I do, I drive myself crazy. And, and, and that, little, that little sliver of work, as I work hard to craft this thing that I had in my mind, is a picture of what a lot of times work for the, for the course of life is. That there is this, there's this thing inside of us that we want to bring order to what we have around us. That we want to move um, knowledge forward, or we want to move a company forward, or we want to move our art forward. And we can do that little by little, but we'll always have this ability to look at it and go, it's just, it's not what I saw up here. It's not complete. It's not the perfection that I wanted it to be. Work is difficult and frustrating. The second thing that sin does to work is that we, it causes it to not last, that our, our work's product doesn't last, and it can often seem pointless. This is Ecclesiastes 2, 18, 20 that you guys just studied with Scott there. Then, oh, sorry, I'm in Genesis now. That's not going to work. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 2, 18, 20. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. 
And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. So the things that we do, um, first of all, we cannot control if they last. Um, and, and secondly, even, even if we maintain them and keep them to last, there will be a point, whether it's in our lifetimes or after, that we hand it off to somebody else. We have no idea what they'll do with it. So our first house that we got, um, 2009, we, we bought our first home as, as we kind of started our family, Amy and I, and, and uh, we needed, it was, it was definitely needed, uh, um, TLC is putting it mildly, it needed um, a lot of work on it to try and get it kind of in order, and so we were patching holes in walls, and we were redoing bathrooms, and we were doing all this stuff, and over the course of time, after a, a long period, we put a lot of work into this house and made it look um, Decent, I want to say really nice. I don't know if it was ever really nice, but decent. And, and, then, and then it came time to sell it just a couple years ago. And, and we got, we got uh, I think, two different offers on it. And, and there was one that came in that was from a family, a family kind of like us that was in kind of a starting spot. And uh, about to, I think they were having kids and all that stuff. But it was kind of under what we were asking for. And then there was another one that came in, and it was everything that we wanted and maybe a little bit more. Um, but this was coming from a parent who was buying it to, for their son and for like roommates to rent it from him. And, and eventually, because of kind of where we were at and because we needed that money in order to be able to kind of move on to another house, we went with the college students and, and his parents. And, and even though we were like, even though we were glad for that, I remember feeling this like small sense of kind of sadness knowing um, that like college students who don't own that thing aren't going to care about that thing. And knowing that, like, the work that we put into it over the years was not going to last um, all that long, that, that I have no idea how they're going to treat this thing. And, and there would have been something that would have been a little bit nice about giving it to this other family who I felt like would have valued it and taken care of it. This is life. And, and even if I had given it to them, then, then it would have moved on to something else, that there is nothing that you gain in your work that lasts beyond, beyond the next uh, generation or two, and even if it lasts forever, even if what you create is art, even if what you create is Shakespeare's amazing plays and his works of literature, even that, when the sun burns up and the earth goes with it and collective consciousness goes with it, even all of that is gone. And so it, it leaves with us this sense of a, a temporary nature and even a pointlessness. Um, why am I doing this? Why am I giving half my life to this thing that that I'll see maybe no results at at the end, or I'll hand off to my foolish kids who are going to squander it all, or I'm going to, like, what, what am I doing with my life every single day when I get up? For what? And it can lead to this sense of pointlessness. The third thing that sin does is it creates a rat race out of work. Um, Ecclesiastes 4.4 Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work Come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. That much of our work, even though people hate it or hate their specific job, a lot of times they stay with it simply for the fact that they've got to keep up with the Joneses. Um, that they can't imagine. Uh, I was talking, um, my buddy was talking with a friend of his just the other day and talking about this job of his that is destroying his marriage and it is destroying so much of everything. It's just consuming him and it's a terrible job and, and all these things, but he's got bills to pay. And by bills, I'm not talking about like electric bills. I'm talking about like new truck bills and those kinds of things. And, and when my friend suggested to him, why don't you just like sell off the new truck and, and get rid of that payment and get like a used truck? And his statement was, I feel like if I was doing that, I would just be moving backwards. Um, that, that all this progress I've been moving towards in the race, I'm just moving backwards and I can't do it. Work creates in us this desire to get ahead of the people around us or at least maintain where they are. The fourth thing that happens with work because of sin is work becomes our identity. Um, for many people, work becomes their identity. And the world, this is one of the world's subtle messages that it doesn't say out loud, but rings really clear with a lot of people. And, and you will hear and you will come to believe really, really easy if you're not careful while you're at school. And that is that you are what you do. 
is that the, the thing you choose to do is, is becomes who you are. This is why I, I have this, and I think I've shared this with you guys before. I have this love-hate relationship with this question, what's your major? Um, uh, I like it because it's, it's obviously like it's easy small talk when I first get to know somebody. And, and it's, it's, I consider it kind of a nice way to get to know a person. Um, the problem is what I mean when I say what is your major is uh, what are you interested in? What do you like? And a lot of people, when they hear that, they hear me ask, who are you? Um, and, that's, and that's not what I'm asking. But that's what we mean. And, and even, even when you're an adult, when you're not a major, that's one of the first questions you'll get asked. Um, what do you do? And, and by what do you do, what we often mean is, who are you? Um, what, what, are you what, like, what, what is it about you that matters? How do you contribute? How do you make things um, interesting? Or, yeah, how do you kind of add to us? How are you significant? And so many people get wrapped up. That's, now, listen, it's not the only reason. A lot of people switch their majors because they really are trying to figure out what they like because they really are trying to figure out what they're interested in um, because electrical engineering was freaking hard, and so i got to find something else to do, right? Uh, but, but I think a lot of times the reason people switch majors six, seven times um, is because, they're try because it's so critical that I get the right one because I'm, I'm picking an identity. I'm not just picking a job. I'm picking an identity. I'm picking who I am. Um, Keller says in his book, Every Good Endeavor, a great book on work, if you're interested, great book on career. Um, he says that since the Greeks that we've divided basically people into two different kinds of classes, and that is like knowledge-based and labor-based when it comes to work. And, and in Western world, like knowledge-based is thought of highly and labor is not. And for that reason, he says, there are a lot of people who go into careers that they hate, that they're not necessarily suited for or passionate about because God didn't wire them that way, but because that's identity. And, and they might be the kind of person who God designed to work with their hands, but that just doesn't bring much great identity to be that kind of person. Um, much more to be kind of knowledge-based. And so a lot of people get into things that they ought not to be. So four reasons, this idea that it's difficult and frustrating and that it doesn't last and can seem pointless. These first two lead people to a despair and even a laziness in their work. That is, what's the point? And I'll show up because I need a paycheck. But listen, but listen I'm like, honestly, I'm doing the minimal amount of effort to not get fired to do what I got to do to get my paycheck and go home. And this is a whole lot of people in the world because of those two things right there. The, the second two, the, this idea of the rat race and the fact that it becomes an identity, lead a whole lot of people to throw themselves completely into their work to the point that it damages um, the rest of their lives around them, that they are consumed by their work. So they lead to these two different ends of the spectrum, both of them unhealthy. But this does not need to be the case for you and I. This does not need to be the way we go about our work, and that is because of this little, um, that poster right back there, gospel-centered life. Because those of us who are in Christ live with their lives centered around a different thing, the gospel-centered lives. Um, the gospel teaches us that there is a God who created the earth, whose Son is the rightful King, and who is restoring all things. There's a God who created the earth, whose Son is the rightful King, and who is restoring all things. And that truth right there, and I'll explain how in just a second, but that truth right there allows work to have purpose dignity and hope without looking to it for all of life's meaning. That phrase that the gospel teaches us there is a God who created the earth, whose son is the rightful king and who's restoring all things. First of all, it gives us purpose. This idea that God created the earth, he provides, we believe this, and I've talked about it a few weeks ago, that one of the major ways God provides for people is through what we call common grace. So special grace is the grace that we receive through Jesus Christ. It is a supernatural thing that moves in us to make us new, to regenerate our hearts. Common grace is a grace that is given to all man, to all people. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, that we have to love like God loves because He causes His Son to rise on the righteous and the wicked, and He brings rain on the just and the unjust. And so God provides these common graces, these natural things to people in all, um, no matter where they are, 
part is kind of a way for him to take care of it. And this is actually common grace um, is the way that God takes care of all of us. One of the most ma- one of the major ways that He uses common grace is through human uh, through human beings, through our work. Um, you, you think about any time you go to get a burger and you go eat a burger, that that burger was actually provided for you, not by the restaurant that gave it to you. It was provided by the restaurant to you, but it was actually um, provided to you um, by farmers who grew the wheat and the vegetables, by, um, by uh, ranchers who, grew, who, who, who had the cows, whatever. It was provided to you by bakers baking the bread. It was provided to you by truck drivers delivering you the food. It was provided by your server and your cook and all these things. God doesn't just... Um, when you're hungry, just put a sandwich in your hands. He provides to you through work. Other people's work is how you stay alive. Other people's work is how you um, move forward in your life, is how you get well when you're sick, those kinds of things. And so God creates the earth, and He cares for the earth. And then what we discover when we believe that there is a God is that you actually have a role in doing that, Um, that you have a role to play in creating and cultivating and ordering. And I think that this idea, if we can get this in our minds, that I am actually part of the hands of God to care for and provide things, if I can see the greater purpose in what I do. Um, We had this guy um, when I was at Ozark, when I was in college there, living in Williamson Hall. Um, There was this guy who came and cleaned the dorms named Bob. Um, And Bob was the greatest. Bob looked like Santa Claus, um, had this big white beard or whatever, and and Bob's, I can't, I was, it sounds weird when I say it, Bob's job, um, the job of Bob, uh, was to come and, like I said, clean our dorms, which, um, which you got to know, okay? Cleaning after, uh, like, hundreds of college dudes cleaning their public restrooms, okay, is like the worst job in the entire world. Um, and, and ladies, if you don't know that, just go over to some of these guys' apartments and step into their bathroom and you'll know that. Um, but imagine not just a bathroom for like three guys, but like on the floors, it was, it was community bathrooms there. And so it's just like floor just with tons of guys. using it. And, and Bob had the most, literally like he had the most amazing attitude of anybody I've ever seen or known in doing these things. We, like everybody, so they, they operated in shifts, the different like, custodial staff that did that so Bob would be at our dorm for a little bit and then he'd go work somewhere else for like a month and it was like celebration day when Bob came back everybody's like it was news throughout the dorm Bob's back Bob's back in the dorms everybody loved to come out and talk to Bob and hang out with him and do all those things and I remember wondering how a dude goes around cleaning urinals all day and smiles and has this incredible joy about him and I could not figure that out exactly and, uh, and one day I got to actually ask him. I thanked him and just, man, I, I'm so appreciative for what you do. Like, why? How do, you, how do you enjoy this so much? And here's what Bob said. He said, the way I see it, like you guys' job, what you guys are here to do is being trained to go do ministry. You guys are here so you can learn the Bible and go teach it and preach it to other people around the world and in different places. And my job is to come here and make sure that you guys don't get sick while you're in the dorms so that you can study and know this stuff and go out and teach it. And and so what Bob knew um, was that actually he had a role to play in tonight. Um, That like as I get up to teach to you, part of the reason is because like I was able to study um, without getting sick, that I was able to study without having to spend a lot of time cleaning up the messiness of of a dorm because Bob saw that as his job. Part of the way that God wanted to provide for you guys was Bob to go work at Ozark. And I love that about him. I thought that was so cool for him to see that, that idea. So work, um, it provides us with purpose. The gospel provides us with dignity and that we understand this, that we are working for that son who is the king. Uh, Colossians 3 says this. 3.23, this is talking to servants. Says this, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And then he says down to masters, so that's to employees. Here's what he says to employers, masters in chapter 4, verse 1. Treat your servants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. The idea is that every one of us, actually not every one of us, most of the people in the world don't work for a king. 
but you do. And, and that ought to bring dignity to it. Imagine you're flipping burgers at McDonald's somewhere in England. Okay, I've got to go to England here so for this illustration work. Um, flipping burgers somewhere in England, and, and every day is just that, standing in front of a grill, flipping patties on this thing. And, and, and the truth is, that's not much to write home about. And that's not much that you like look forward to or like to talk about. But imagine one day that you discover that the royal family is coming specifically to that McDonald's. And you actually, you know at that moment that you're going to be like making burgers for the queen, for the prince, for all these people. Like honestly, that's something that you would go tell everyone you knew about. Because that little thing, that, that little menial task, the entire significance and worth of it changes based on who that task was done for. It matters now. Because you're not just flipping burgers, you're serving royalty. And, and this actually becomes us. We recognize that in our creating and cultivating that we are actually serving the king, that we are, we are doing the work of God in caring for other people, that Bob in scrubbing urinals believes that he's not just serving a bunch of 19-year-old boys, but that he's actually serving the king and his purposes as they go into different areas of life. The last, and, and lastly, we see this, that it, um, it restores hope. It gives us hope. Um, because we know that God is restoring all things, that one day He'll make everything new. So that thing that you're working for, that table that you make that never looks just right, or that poem that you write, or that business that you're trying to run that you wish you could go over and start over and make it all fixed right, like the idea is that there is beauty and there is order that exists somewhere in eternity. There is something that is perfect. And everything that we're doing right now is little... Um, imperfect reflections of it but one day we will see that come to fruition one day we will see it all um, play out and, and I believe this okay that whatever job you do as a teacher teaching little second graders or as an engineer designing things for airline uh, companies or as a lawyer practicing law that if it is done well that we have the opportunity to create these little windows into eternity that when we create things of beauty or of order or of rightness, that we are actually projecting something that will be one day. Um, in small little ways, we are showing things that will one day come to fruition, that will one day take place and that we'll be able to see perfectly. And, and I love that idea that, that you get to create little windows into eternity by the things that you're doing. But, but we also see the gospel means that we do not have to put our ultimate meaning in work. Um, because we find it, of course, in Jesus himself. And we don't have to do those things. Um, this is a shingle. And I uh, stole it off of the roof at Sunnybrook today. <laughs> Hope that's not going to be a problem. Um, this, is, this is a shingle. And, and shingles are really, really good things. Um, they protect not just your roof, but ultimately they protect all the things under that roof because they keep the weather from getting into that and ruining all of those things. Shingles are um, a beautiful thing to have to your home, and they're a critical thing to have to your home. Um, and I'm really glad that I have shingles on my house, and I'm really glad that Sunnybrook has most of its shingles, except for this one now, to take care of things. But here's, here's the thing, though. Shingles, um, shingles make a really, really crappy foundation to build on. And, and as much as I want these on my home, I'm not going to build my home on it because my home would crumble under the weight of, or uh, my, would crumble after it tries to put all of its weight and pressure on that. I need concrete. I need something solid to build on. Everything that we've talked about in this Ecclesiastes series, honestly, is just like a shingle. Um, wisdom, knowledge is a great and wonderful thing when it is used as it's meant to be but if you try and build your whole life on it if you try and find your ultimate meaning and what you're able to gain and know then everything's going to crumble around you and and same with pleasure and wealth which we're going to get to next week is a little bit of a sticky one that one plays a little bit different because it can be so risky but but work is so much like a shingle this is a good gift that God created for you. You get to create and, and, and cultivate and order things, and you get to feel the pleasure of that. But if you try and throw um, your ultimate meaning into work, it's like building on shingles, and, and you're going to crumble. Here's, here's kind of the last word. Let me explain it like this. You are going to be part of that group of people who hate your job 
or who are blinded by the fact that you think it defines you if you go to work for self. Those people who go to work for self-actualization, that is, I find personal fulfillment in this, or self-advancement, that is, I move forward and move up the ladder in this, or self-gain, that is, this is how I get my money. If that is what you go to work for, it's going to be either miserable or you're going to be blinded and you think, you'll think that you are actually advancing because you're moving up. You'll think that this is who you are. And your job may not crumble around you, but your family sure will. Um, and, and your community probably will. And other parts of your life as you sell your soul off to this job will crumble. If you go to your career, whatever it may be, flipping burgers or teaching students, um, or, or building, designing products, if you go with this idea that I go every day, 9 to 5, 8 to 5, to serve, um, then that changes everything. I go there for the sake of serving people that I will never even see by the way I go about my work. I go there to serve God and I go there to allow Him to use me to serve others around me. Then work is allowed to be what it actually is and work will be a joy to you as you do those things. And so that's, that's my hope for you, that you won't let it define you and that you won't make work about self because it's going to be a, a miserable life and you'll be looking forward to Friday every day from that. But if you can make it about serving, then I think it'll be something you learn to enjoy. We'll take some time to sing and we'll wrap up.